0: chapter 1 verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. We have been in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 for a few weeks now. There's a lot of things for us to consider. The author of Hebrews is pointing out some points that really he's going to build upon as he goes through the entire book of Hebrews. These are points that we could read through quickly in verse 3 without really spending much time on. Perhaps when we read the words, we we understand what they are saying, but it's good for us, I believe, to go back and and break down this, this passage and these different aspects of what the writer is talking about so we can fully understand the things that are being said. He talks about Jesus being the Son of God. We see the glory of God. We see... The Word of God. We see the idea of the purification of sins. These are things that are significant that we have looked at in in pretty good detail over the last few weeks. And today we will continue in verse 3. This will probably be a two-parter to finish up the the last part of verse 3. But let's read the text, then we'll pray and we'll jump in. The Son of God is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for your good word. Dear Lord, this word is good if we will listen to it. I pray, God, that we would be free of distractions and the worries of the world. And God, that as we read today, that you'd speak to us, that you'd speak through me to each one that's going to hear these words today. God, I pray that you'd receive all the glory. you take away fear and pride from me, dear Lord, but that I do a faithful job to present your word in a way that speaks to our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit do a work in us today. Let us know that Jesus is seated at your right hand. Let us know that Jesus has completed the perfect work, dear Lord, on our behalf. Let us draw strength from that today, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now there are are a few things that we have seen up to this point that are that are important in this passage. One is that Jesus came to show us who God was, and that we needed to be that we needed to know who God was, that we needed to fully know who God was. Now in the Old Testament the people saw God in some way, but through Jesus they saw they saw God. That's what Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So when Jesus came, he came so that we may see God and that we may know God in a, more, in a more perfect way, in a more relational way that can only come through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the second important thing we have looked at so far, that Jesus made sacrifice for our sins. So he came that we may see and know God, and the way that we may know God in a more perfect way is because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that our sins are atoned for, that we have been forgiven. And the third thing that we see that is important is that Jesus has completed this work. When we see here that it says Jesus has sat down at the right hand of God, that language tells us that what Jesus came to do and accomplish, Jesus has accomplished. He has came so that we may see and know God. He has has came so that we may have purification for our sins and be atoned for. Those are the things he came for and those are the things that he has done. And his work is finished. There is no more work to be done in that regard. Jesus has completed that. And therefore, the author of Hebrews says he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is, he is set down beside God. He is set down in a place of honor. He is set down in a place of power. He is set down in a place of authority. That's that's what that language means when we see being seated at the right hand of the king or the right hand of God. We see that language applied to earthly kings in the Old Testament, and we kind of get that idea of being seated at the right hand. But this language is carried over here applying to Jesus, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is an important theme for us to spend some time focusing on because it's an important theme for the writer of Hebrews. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer continues to use this same language. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty in the heavens, the same language repeated throughout the book, reminding his audience that what Jesus has done is a work that is complete. There is no work to be done. Jesus has done all of the work. Therefore, let us follow Jesus. Now, let us not forget that the audience of the book of Hebrews was being tempted to turn from Jesus and go back to an old way of doing things. That is the old sacrificial system, the old way of the law. The writer of Hebrews says you have been freed from those things. You're doing a work that has already been completed in Christ if you go back to the old sacrificial system. So he says, don't keep working for something that won't bring atonement for your sins and won't do you any good, but trust in the one whose work is done, the one who is seated at the right hand of God. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. The same idea that we just talked about. We talked about it last week. I just briefly mentioned it, that Jesus has completed a work that the Old Testament system could not complete. What does it say of the priest in the Old Testament at the beginning of that verse? It says every priest stands, okay? There's a contrast there between what Jesus has done and what the Old Testament priesthood was, what the old sacrificial system was. That is, the work of the priest in the Old Testament was never done. Day after day after day after week after month after year, the priest and the old sacrificial system would stand. That is, their work is ongoing. But Jesus' work is complete. The priest in the Old Testament had a job, and it was an important job at that time. But a better priest has come. A better high priest has come in Jesus Christ. The work of the priest in the Old Testament was never done, but Jesus' work is complete. Jesus is not standing, but Jesus is seated. Jesus is not just sat down anywhere either. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. This is a theme that we see throughout Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says here that we should keep our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. So it's a source of power. Jesus is is a source of power for us. At the end of the book, he's telling his audience, look, if you need power, don't seek power in things of the world. In their case, the old sacrificial system. In our case, maybe other things of the world that look appealing to us. But where is our source of power? Where are we looking to for power? The author of Hebrews says we are to look to Jesus. Jesus the source, the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is the source of our power. He has endured the cross on our behalf. He has completed this work to give us victory, to give us strength. And so therefore, he says, look to the one who is seated at the right hand of God. That is, he is in a place of power, he is in a place of authority, and his work has completed. So don't work for yourselves. Don't look to the old way of doing things. Don't look to anything of the world to save you, but trust in the work of Jesus Christ, whose work is complete and he has sat down and it is finished. That's what Jesus said right before he took his last breath on the cross. He said, "It is finished." He had done all that he had come to do. He had completed what God had sent him to do. He had remained obedient to the will of the Father. And Jesus had done his part and three days later God would do his part and the awesome power of God would raise Jesus from the dead and the authority and the power of God and the honor God bestowed on Jesus Christ, his son, who was a perfect sacrifice for sins for you and for I. And that work is complete and that is what Jesus came to do so that we may know God and have relation with him and that's what we need to be doing today is seeking God through the one seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see this idea, to understand this idea a little bit, we'll look at a few scriptures. We, we kind of get it, right? We understand the idea of Jesus being in a place of power. But just from a, a worldly perspective, we see that with kings in the Old Testament. In, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, uh, there's a passage that talks about Solomon and his mother comes up, and Solomon sits on the throne, and he has a seat placed to the right of him for his mother. That's a, that's a place of honor. we do not not worried so much about the context of that passage, just that idea that we see that, hey, for worldly kings to be able to be seated at the right hand of the king is a place of honor. And so we see that kind of language used here of Jesus in the book of Hebrews, We also see the the language of right hand used to speak of power, right? It's not just a place of honor to be seated there, but the right hand also refers to power. We see that frequently in the Old Testament. We'll look at just a couple of passages, but the Old Testament is full of passages that speak of the right hand of God and the strength that is in the right hand of God. Psalm 45 verse 4 says, may your right hand show your awe-inspiring acts. That is, calling out to God, God, may your right hand, may your power show up. May people see your power and who you are and your authority, God. And, And that language is referred to as the right hand of God. In Exodus chapter 15, God's people had been enslaved in Egypt, and God, through Moses, delivered his people through the Red Sea. And when his people were delivered, and when they were safely on the other side, they began to sing out to the Lord and praise the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. And so they recognized, one, they were delivered by what? By the power of God. And how did they refer to the power of God? They referred to the power of God by his right hand. Now, perhaps this is language that is fitting for us too because there are many things in our life that we need to be delivered from. There may be things that you are up against today that are bigger than you, sin that you are battling against, temptation that you are battling against, anger you are battling against, whatever it may be, there are things in your life that you may need to be delivered from today. And where does our deliverance come? Our deliverance comes From the power of God, that is the right hand of God. Maybe that needs to be our prayer today or our song of praise. God, you have delivered me by your mighty right hand. God, you have shattered my enemies. You have you have freed me from sin, God, by your power. And how is God's power exhibited perfectly for us? It is exhibited through Jesus Christ. Now, God worked in a variety of ways in the Old Testament, parting the Red Sea and all this big things that God did that were just Super cool things. But but the most powerful thing that, that God has done is sent his only son. The most powerful thing that God has done is raised him from the dead. And so we see God's power in a different way. It's 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 maybe not as 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 big to the eye as a sea that is being parted, but it's much bigger in what Jesus has done and what was required of Jesus, in the faithful obedience to Jesus, in the power of God to raise the faithful son, from the grave after Jesus' work was completed. And so we see the power of God. Let us praise God today for his powerful right hand and the one who is seated at his right hand. Psalm chapter 138, verse 7, at the end of the passage there, it says, your right hand will save me. That same idea. David's calling out, and what does he know? What does he acknowledge? That it's God who will save him. And it's God who will save us today. And how does God do so? God does so through Jesus Christ. And so we see this idea of the power of God, and what does the power of God mean? It means that God will save. It means that God can save, and God does save those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. That is God's power in its most perfect, its most beautiful form, is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. We see this idea carried over into the New Testament as well about Jesus being seated on the throne. The angel uh, told Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 32 uh, that Jesus said said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So here's this idea of of Jesus seated on the throne. Now the same idea kind of we see Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne. What does it mean here when it uses this language? It means that Jesus will be the king. We see in the Old Testament prophecies that, that there's coming one from the line of David who is going to reign as king forever, who is going to be the ultimate king. Now in Jesus' day, many people were looking for a king that, were, that was going to come and sit on an earthly throne from the line of David. Now, Jesus did, in fact, come from the line of David, and Jesus is, in fact, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But the throne he sits on is at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is a much greater throne than any throne that would have been in this world. You see, for those who were looking for Jesus to sit on an earthly throne, if Jesus would have done so, that wouldn't have done any good. God had a bigger bigger plan. He had a bigger picture. God didn't just send Jesus to come and sit on a throne in Jerusalem to be the king of Jerusalem over his people. But instead, God sent Jesus to be the king of all humanity that would put their faith in him. That Jesus would be the king and reign over all. That all things are created through him for him that when Jesus sits on the throne, that he's not just a conqueror of nations, but he is a conqueror of sin. He is a conqueror of Satan. And so Jesus, in fact, is seated on the throne. And when the angel says here that he will sit on the throne of David, uh, that language is telling us that Jesus is the one who is going to come from the line of David. And Jesus is the king. And here we see in Hebrews that Jesus is, being the Son of God, is seated at the right hand of God. He is seated on the throne to the right of God. The one seated beside the throne and seated on the throne is the one from the line of David, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who is above all things. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 uses this language as well. It tells us that God demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead And seating him at his right hand in the heavens. So, how do we see the ultimate power of God in the New Testament? We see it through the Messiah. How does God show us his power? By raising Jesus from the dead. Not only did he raise him from the dead, power over death, praise the Lord. Jesus died a perfect life. He died on the cross. His blood was shed for forgiveness of sins. For there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, Scripture tells us. So Jesus died. He lived a perfect life without sin so that his blood could atone for our sin. And that's the first part of the important thing that Jesus did. He atoned for our sins. But the second important thing that Jesus did, that God did through Jesus, is that God raised him from the dead. So Jesus was able to conquer sin, and he was able to also conquer death. This is the power of God, that the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, would atone for our sins even though we are unworthy. Praise the Lord for God's grace And not only would he atone for our sins, but he would deliver us from death by giving us eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so what does Ephesians say? It says that God demonstrated his power, the power of God. How do we see the power of God? That he raised the Messiah from the dead and he seated him at his right hand. He gave him the place of honor. He gave him the place of prominence. He gave him all authority. He gave him all power. This is the power of God through Jesus Christ, resurrected and seated at the right hand of God. We see again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Now this is, this is a good verse for us to consider. So if we have been raised with the Messiah... So we were doomed to die. Jesus died for us, but Jesus was raised from the dead by God. If we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ have also been raised from the dead by God, if we have been raised with the Messiah, we receive eternal life through the Messiah, what does he say to do? He says, seek what is above. Where? Where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. So what does he say? The one who is prepared to way for you through Jesus so that you may be atoned for and forgiven and receive eternal life, he is seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, focus on him. The same idea that we see in the passage we looked at from Hebrews chapter 12, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who is seated at the right hand of God. And so what are we looking to today? If Jesus is the one through whom all of God's power is revealed to us, that we may experience forgiveness in eternal life, what are we looking to apart from Jesus today? Now maybe we come in and we all are looking to Jesus for everything. But it's unlikely. Even those of us who greatly desire to walk with the Lord may sometimes find our eyes instead of looking upward, looking downward. We begin to see the things of the world and they begin to look perhaps overwhelming to us. Perhaps our, our stresses and our sin and our depression and our worries and our struggle begin to cause us to look down and begin to cause us to, to, to not be able to see Jesus clearly. Clearly. We begin to get so overwhelmed by the worries and the stresses of the world that that we, we quit looking to Jesus. We quit seeking God's word. We quit spending time in prayer. The things of the world seem overwhelming to us as though there's no way out. But if you are in that position today, then you need to look up. We need to look up because the source of our power is above all that we have here in this world. What is before us is horrible. But what God offers us is above this. It's better than this. It's seated at his right hand. Jesus is, in fact, the source of our power today. So if we feel buried by the stresses of this world, let us not be overwhelmed, but let us look above those things. Let us look past those things to know that God is greater than the things that may be before us today. Perhaps what is before us today is our sin. Perhaps that's what's keeping us from looking to Jesus. Perhaps the things of the world look appealing to us. The wealth of the world looks good to us. The pleasures of the world feel good to us. And so we begin to look to those things. When we are stressed, when we are depressed, when we want to have a good time, when all is well, we don't look to God, we look to things of the world. And when we look to things of the world, they don't leave us in a good place. They leave us in a really bad place. But what does the Bible say here? Look, if you are in Christ, if you have been raised with the Messiah, then seek what is above. Seek better things. And so we need to ask God to help us to overcome the sin that so easily ensnares us. We need to say, God, I don't want to give in to the things of the world. I don't want to seek power from the things of the world and strength from the things of the world because we need to realize that our power and strength only comes from the one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we must look for higher things. We must look to higher things than what this world has to offer. We must seek what is above. But too many times in our life, we don't find ourselves seeking what is above. We find ourselves seeking things of the world. You see, things of the world don't... um, Things of the world look very appealing to us. But oftentimes, the things of, 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 of what God calls us to may not seem so appealing, but... Even though they don't look as appealing or sound as appealing, they bring much more joy in our life than the things of this world. You see, when we give in to the things of this world, it leaves us feeling empty and burdened and really no better about ourselves, oftentimes, even worse about ourselves. But when we look to the things that are above, it leaves us with a certain joy that can only come from God. What do we look for when we look to the things that are above? One, we look to God and say, God, I will love you above all else because you are God, because you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. God, things happen in this world I don't understand. God, I don't know why I'm going through these things, but I know, God, that you are good. We need to be reminded of that, that we look to a God who is good. And so when we look to what is above, we say, God, I know that you are good, and so therefore I am looking to you to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This needs to be what we are looking to. This is what God calls us to. When we look to things of the world, we miss God. But when we look to God, we will find God if we are seeking him. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what does Jesus say is the next most important thing? To love our neighbor as ourself. Now that doesn't sound very appealing to us. Now to live for sin and to have things of the world, that sounds pretty appealing. To have lots of money and to go everywhere you want to go and to do what you want to do. But it doesn't sound very appealing, does it, to love our neighbor as ourself? especially considering that sometimes our neighbors are quite unlovable. Sometimes they do and say and act in ways that aren't good at all. But yet Jesus still calls us to love our neighbors. He calls us to pray for our enemies, those who persecute us, those who don't even love us in return. And let us not forget that God loved us when we are not always loving to God in return. And so the things that are above aren't as appealing. Love God and live for him, even though it may mean difficulties in this life. Love your neighbor, even though your neighbor doesn't love you. Even though loving your neighbor may require sacrifice. Those things don't sound appealing to us. But I'll tell you, there's no better feeling in the world than when we begin to love God and live for him and when we begin to take that love that we have seen in God and love other people with that same love. There's nothing better than helping those who are in need. And sometimes it comes at a cost to us that we are sacrificing something of our own, our own pleasure, our own time, our own money, our own comforts. But there's something that's, that's, that's very fulfilling about doing things out of love. Now, we can do those things with the wrong heart and not from the love of God. We can do them just to do them. But when we are doing the right things for the right reasons, because God has called us to, and we genuinely love people, and we're genuinely just getting dirty, and we're going without a meal, and we're going to places that are dangerous, and we're giving of what we have to see that others are taken care of, this is what God calls us to. This needs to be our goal. This needs to be what we seek. These are the things that are higher things. These are the things that are above what this world would say is valuable. God. God says, look to me and love each other. But so many times in this world, people don't look to God. They don't love each other. They become selfish to live for themselves, and it leaves them in a rotten place. Now, maybe today some of us are in a rotten place. And when we are in a rotten place, it's almost always because we are not seeking God. It's almost always because we are living in sin, So today, let us seek what is above. Let us seek the one who is seated on the throne in Jesus Christ because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's through Jesus Christ that all power and all authority has been given. And let us not miss that point in the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Let us not miss that point throughout the book and let us not miss that point in our life. In the book of Hebrews, the people were being tempted to turn from Jesus back to things of the world. In their case, the old sacrificial system. In our case, not the old sacrificial system, probably, but there are other things in this world that may pull us from Jesus, that we may look to instead of Jesus. But let us not be those who look to the world, but let us be those who look to higher things. Let us be those who look to what is above. Let us be those who look to the one who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. God, I pray that you bless the reading of this word, that we would we would remember to do exactly what your word has called us to, that we look to you, dear Lord. The world looks appealing. It looks good to us, dear Lord. Sometimes it makes us feel good, dear Lord. But oftentimes that good feeling is short-lived. But God, you promise, promise us something better than what the world offers through Jesus Christ. So I pray, God, that if there is one that does not know Jesus today, that they would put their faith in the one seated at your right hand. Because God, all authority and power and forgiveness of sin comes through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. God, the world may look appealing for us today. Maybe there are some who have always lived for the world and they've never put their faith in Jesus. I pray today that they would look to what is above, to what is better than what they have known so far. God, maybe there are some today and they are yours. They have put your faith in you. They know your word. They know Jesus in the same way that this audience in the book of Hebrews knew Jesus. And maybe through the temptations of the world, they are being tempted to choose sin over their Savior. God, I pray that there are none in this room today that that would, would choose sin over the Savior God, but that we would be those who would look to the Savior. So God, I pray that you help us with our struggles because it is a struggle. And we come week after week and we read your word time and time again because we need it, God. Because there is strength. It's a strength that came only because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God, the fact that he sits at your right hand right now, God, is a fact that we do not want to miss. It is a reminder that his work is completed. There is power and there is strength and there is deliverance through Jesus. So let us Make sure that our eyes are focused in the right place today on what is above and not on what is below. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.